0: The following podcast contains spoilers and words like crap, "shit," and f***. Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hello everybody and welcome to the show. I'm Billy, I'm joined as always by my very good friend Tofa. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm well. You know, I'm here, I've, I've got a glass of wine, I'm talking to one of my favourite podcasters who, hey, I have a podcast with. Oh, isn't that nice? You got a glass of wine? That's nice. Cheeky red or white? What are we going with? Big glass of red. I didn't think there was this much left in the bottle, but (laughs) here it is. (laughs) Well, it's it's nice to be back with you. I mean, a bit behind the scenes here, but we actually haven't recorded together in what, five, six weeks? Oh, peek behind the curtain here in podcast land. Yeah, we we banked a bunch of episodes. Yeah, and then it's been a while. We haven't spoken because we famously don't get along. Well, that's true. We do it just for the fans. We do it for the listeners. One day we'll release one of those like behind the music documentaries, and people will see what a terrible person you are. I think they know. <laughs> Speaking of terrible people, what are what are we looking at this week? We are looking at a film which was, uh, it's part of the Dark Universe, or or not <laughs> that franchise that just just went gangbusters, didn't it? Oh, it did, it did. I'm, cu- I'm curious to see what they come up with next. <laughs> yeah, abandoned after one movie, but we, we still get The Invisible Man. Yes, which of course is now not part of that dark universe, although out of it, uh, Lee Whannell, did you see that he's signed a two-year first look deal with Blumhouse after this film? I have not seen that. I'm not yeah. privy to <laughs> Lee Winnell's business dealings. Well, yes, yes, he has, he has. Uh, now, this, this is... One of the only times I can think of, at least, that we kind of have a little bit of knowledge of what the other person thought of the film. Listener of the show, Julio, good friend of ours, who I should also plug, we recorded with recently doing an episode on Street Fighter, which will be up, I think, later this month. Are you going to continue the plug and say where people can listen to Julio, what organisation he's from? Oh, I should, that's a good point. Julio is one of our oldest podcast friends. He's from the Contrarians podcast, him and his friend Alex. It's an awesome show if you haven't heard it before. They rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, so they take a movie that's either universally praised and talk about why it's not so good, or they do the reverse, which is the fun we had with Street Fighter recently, talking about why it's one of the best movies of all time. And we didn't even have to lie that much, did we? Well, clearly a classic. <laughs> but Julio accidentally mentioned to you that this was now my top film of the year. And so then I, I had to go to you and go, please just tell me what you thought of it. And I, I, you didn't come out exactly clean, but I'm pretty sure that I know what your score is. <laughs> um, did it shock you when you heard how much I loved this film? Um, shocked is a strong, like I, I, My expectation was that you would thoroughly enjoy this film. I wouldn't have picked that it would be your current top of 2020. Okay. I was really hoping... I mean, I loved it so much that I I couldn't comprehend how you could give it any less than a a 7. But I'm sure that that's what's coming. So... The Invisible Man is a 2020 science fiction horror film written and directed by Lee Winnell. It's an adaptation of the novel of the same name by H.G. Wells and a reboot of the Invisible Man film series. Was the last one Hollow Man? Uh, I'm not familiar with Hollow Man. Kevin Bacon and Elizabeth Shue. Oh my god, you need to watch Hollow Man. Okay. Well, we're going to we're gonna do it as a throwback one day. <laughs> Can't wait. Uh, it stars, of course, Elizabeth Moss, Aldous Hodge, Storm Reid, Harriet Dyer, Michael Dorman and Oliver Jackson-Cohen. And what's it about, Toph? It's about a lady played by Elizabeth Moss trying to get away from her dreadful ex-boyfriend. Who can turn invisible? Well, Should we mention that? He can't turn invisible, can he? Well, He can avoid being seen. <laughs> okay. What? He's got a suit that turns him invisible. Is like that if not- I step onto an airplane, you can't say like, Toph can fly. <laughs> well, can't you? Why not? Let's get a bit existential. All right, let's Why do the not? Whole you are, theory of relativity you, here. You, you are flying in that moment. No, it's I'm not, not flying. I'm sitting in a vessel, which is airborne. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I think we're getting into some interesting territory here. All right, let's go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you, dr- you drive. You drive a car. Your body doesn't physically drive, but you are driving. I'm not the pilot of the plane. Maybe you can say that a pilot Ooh. flies. I don't I uh, I get flued well okay so oh okay yeah that is interesting because i guess like your sister has been driven in a car but she doesn't actually drive so i guess i guess yeah she doesn't drive does she i was invisible to girls at high school but <laughs> i couldn't actually turn invisible i know you had this magic bowl cut that just made you invisible to women incredible <laughs> I think they were possibly Horcruxes. <laughs> Horcrux-eye. Right. Uh, I now know what that means. <laughs> yeah. uh. Thank you, we watched a thing. <laughs> All right. Okay, let's get into the movie proper. I mean, hit me with your thoughts then. You know exactly what I thought about the film, and I guess we'll get into why I thought it was so good, but tell me where it sits for you. I think it is. It's between my my initial level of excitement for this film, which was at all. Yeah well you're not a horror for watching no. at all. No. And then a week or two before the film came out you know what kind of once the embargo lifted my expectations lifted significantly and I would say that my how I feel about the film is between how I like expectations wise is somewhere between what it was initially and then what it had risen to going in. Obviously, you know that I'm sworn off trailers. The only trailers I see are the ones I happen to see at the cinemas. So, I had not seen a trailer for this film. One thing that I'm hearing from a lot of people who share similar opinions to you, who don't think it's as good as I do, a lot of the feedback is that the marketing campaign was abysmal and that the trailers spoiled just about everything in the movie. Is that right? I I Actually, to be honest, I don't have a great recollection of the trailer. Um I do recall that like Rogue One with Jyn Erso versus the Tie Fighter maybe probably the coolest shot of the trailer is not in the film. Oh really? What was that? You know when um when Cecilia is in the shower. Yeah. And and so in the trailer that shot um a a Kate Winslet style handprint goes onto the shower screen. Oh, that's re- pretty cool. It's a really cool shot. Yeah. Which is not in the film. I mean, I hate when they do that, but trailers are done completely separately to the film. The trailers are actually edited before the film is edited. Yeah, it's separate. separate company. So it's not, it's not uncommon for stuff like that to happen, and it's not necessarily a marketing ploy. It's just that it's, it's made by completely different people. Yeah, and at the time, that shot probably was in the film. Yeah. Much like with Rogue One, when Gareth Edwards said to them, "Uh, guys, I should probably tell you, I don't think that's actually going to make it into the film. And (laughs) Lucasfilm were like, we don't care. It's a fucking awesome shot. (laughs) So, I mean, while we're on it, let's talk about the shots. Lee Whannell is really, really known more as a writer than a director. I I know that Upgrade... Um, last year, had quite a bit of success. I'm not sure if that was his directorial debut, but he is mainly known as a writer. Did he have a co-directing credit for Saw, or was he just writer slash actor? I think he was just writer slash actor. I'm pretty sure that that was all James Wan credited for Saw, and yeah, Lee Winnell was just writer and actor. I think he showed some real strength as a director with this film. I thought that the cinematography was really, really nice, and I think... He used, like, empty space. A good thing that happens is that in a lot of the interiors that play out not in close-ups, where the action is just happening in front of the camera, the shots are quite wide. So that is maybe my favourite, certainly in terms of the camera style of the film. That's my favourite thing that that Lee Winnell does, is to just let things happen on a wide shot and trust That the audience is with you, that you don't need a close-up of the stove being turned up. Yeah. That you will just follow what's going on and that you know because you're in a film called The Invisible Man (laughs) that (laughs) you're already keyed in enough to what's going on. Yeah, that was one of my favourite things, that that shot in particular, that was, I mean, that must have been a 45 second to over a minute long shot, just of the kitchen, and she even left the room, like, it's just an empty room for a lot of the time, and something he does that's really smart, that's actually one of the only scenes from memory that has, like, you know, the classic floating object, that when you think of the invisible man, that's what you think of, is, you know. Sunglasses in the middle, yep. yeah. Whereas for this film, he really stayed away from that. And it's interesting that he used so much blank space because in horror horror films, that's used to draw your eye around the frame so that you look for things in the background. It's really clever that for most of the film, nothing happened in the background. It's just completely empty. I thought that was a really smart choice. Yeah, and it's it's. It, I think it's a very good call that in a film called The Invisible Man, you know what you're watching, that it... It can frame empty spaces, like it can just frame a door frame with nothing in it, but you, the audience, are like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. Um, he does it with, I think, a really impressive amount of restraint and and like I said, trust in the audience, which is not something you know you're going to get. Let's talk Elizabeth Moss, who is one of the greatest actresses of our generation. You and I absolutely adore her. We, I think the last time we spoke about her was a long time ago with The Square, um, but we're both avid Handmaid's Tale watchers. And both of us missed and are angry at ourselves uh, her smell. Yes, yes, which is definitely on my watch list. In fact, hopefully I'll get it to it this week while I'm away, actually. Um, but. She is so, so bloody good in this movie, like, and this is something we all know from Handmaid's Tale about how great she is at conveying emotion just through facial ticks. Like she doesn't need a lot of dialogue to work with, and she doesn't really have a lot here. Um, but by God, she's good in this film. She is just excellent. Elizabeth Moss and traumatized characters. Yeah, what's going on there? I know, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Obviously, the film is called The Invisible Man, but the film is about Elizabeth Moss's character, Cecilia. The film is on her shoulders. Yes. Um, So what a delight it must be as a director when you're like, awesome, I've got Elizabeth (laughs) Moss. I know, just roll and say to her, just do The Handmaid's Face. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that is my favourite thing about the film is the angle that it comes at. Completely, you know, it's so smart to take a film called The Invisible Man and literally make the man invisible. I didn't realize until right towards the end, you know, when she went and met up with him. I didn't make the connection until that point that we actually hadn't seen his face. And when when he, when he we saw him, I actually said to myself, that's not him. And then I realized I had no idea. And I think that is such a smart way to play it because he... It's not about him. It's about her. And that first scene, the tension you feel when she's escaping that house. Like, you feel afraid of this guy. He's, he's just fast asleep. Like, we have no idea what this guy is like, but we know to be afraid of him. Yeah, that I think is, that's to Lee Whannell's script's credit, that it doesn't bother explaining it. It's like, it's, it's 3.30 in the morning. She's sneaking out. If there wasn't a good reason for doing this, she wouldn't be sneaking out at 3.30. Like, it's fine. You can piece together why she's doing that. And maybe people have slightly different versions of it. But, like, you know why. And I think it's a, a a really, really great statement on domestic violence itself and just believing victims. You know, we are with her. We know she's afraid and we're afraid for her. We have no idea what this guy is like. That, I think, is the central theme of the film that comes across through the entire plot. Just today was listening to an interview with Lee Winnell and he was uh he was pitched the movie. Um Oh not, really? Not, I didn't yeah know that. not vice versa. Um interesting it was he was coming off upgrade and and he was pitched it and he said just in that, I think it was in that first meeting he was like okay well never thought about doing an, an invisible man film but I think if I was going to do one that it would be the victim's film, not right the invisible man's. Which is yeah, as it, as it turns out it's kind of a this you know this remake of a of an old property is very present and I like that like even though it leaves a lot of it to your imagination I like that they give voice to um when she's talking to him um in the in the lounge room with the, like with the coffee beans on the ground um and she's saying she has that kind of why me yeah you speech. could have that. yes yeah yes. And, and what and what it comes down to is that it's because you didn't need him, and that problem, and like you can imagine that maybe at first that excited him, but then in the end it enraged him. It's this awful need for control that that partner has—that I need to own this person fully, even even if it makes neither of us happy. Just going back to camera for a while, and I like I said, I really like it when Winnell just steps back and just lets it happen. I'm. And I, I haven't seen Upgrade. I've been meaning to catch up on it. Um, and this is something that I believe happens a lot in Upgrade, at least if if judging the trailer is anything to go by. The the body cam stuff, which I find stunningly jarring in a film where, for a lot of it, it's almost Fincher-esque, the way that it just stately moves the camera around. And that's obviously a, a choice. But I just like I I was there's times where I'm just like okay, why am I watching a film clip from the turn of the century? Yeah, okay. And if it's if it's if it's a really, really direct nod to slap my bitch up, then Jesus Christ, isn't that a bit on the nose? <laughs> that is that would be on the nose. That would be <laughs> Um, yeah, see, I personally, I, I was a, a big fan of the direction and cinematography across the whole film. I felt that everything was very purposeful and intentional, which, um, as I said, Lee Winnell is really known as a writer. So I was really happy to see his development here. And I I did feel that just about everything was a decision. Um, and, and as you say, perhaps you just weren't on board with with the decision for the kind of shakier stuff. I don't know how far back we'd have to go to find, in my opinion, maybe a better holy crap moment in a film when he kills her sister. Yes, that holy shocked the entire cinema. crap. Yeah. I didn't see it coming. And I know I should have. He's the invisible man. Like, why? W- you famously can't see him coming. <laughs> and then the way the knife just ends up in her hands- and everybody's looking at it. It was, it was extremely shocking. And it's a great bit of editing as well because it just knows how long to let it hang as she yes. kind of takes a breath and realizes what's happening just as the audience is taking a breath and realizing what's just happened. it just, it just yeah. I actually really rated how long it, it let that hang there so that you could just be like, oh, fuck. Yeah, I think the editing was really, really strong the whole way through. I mean, as we've said, as you mentioned, with this scene being quite long and, and previously with you know the stove fire being a, uh, probably a minute long shot, it, it really knows when to speed things up. Like with that scene where he kills the sister, I don't know if you remember or noticed, but there's a very fast cut there when the knife is about halfway through her throat, it cuts to another angle and mm. that in itself really kind of snaps you and you're like oh holy shit <laughs> and the entire cinema jumped at that point we saw this opening night my wife was furious at me cuz i was like oh i think it's more of a thriller not a horror like it'll be it'll be fun date night she she was not happy with me, <laughs> especially I, I'm I'm leaving town for about three nights this week, and she was like, "Why would you make me watch that before you leave me home alone?" And every time she looks at a door frame with no one in it, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> famously I'm I'm in optics. <laughs> but, but I'm just um, going to come around and ring the doorbell. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I thought the editing was really really strong, particularly in that scene. It was really smart the way it just jolted you like that. So I really liked the editing within scenes. For me, the kind of progression from, if you like, chapter to chapter of the film is not so smooth. For instance, following the um, the whole kind of ordeal where she's been up in the uh, you know, the ceiling cavity, and then she's downstairs, and then she move, gets orders an Uber, and then heads off somewhere else. To me, that stuff is a little clunky, and... It just didn't feel particularly natural to me in terms of the flow of the story. Um, But I'm totally with you within scenes. Uh, I love the editing. To me, I thought that was really strong because that reminded you that this guy isn't supernatural as much as that's where your head kind of goes. And that's why it was nice to me to have those breaks where, for example, she outruns him. She hops in the Uber and she gets to his place. And a part of you expects him to be there until you remember... I mean, no, this place is miles away he can't yeah, the su- fly. the suit is not Iron Man. Yeah, exactly. So I actually really, really liked the writing in those moments that that made you remember he is just a guy. And on that, I really liked the design of the suit itself. What did you think of this and the like the pseudoscience of it, if you will? I'm I'm kind of ambivalent on it. It didn't it certainly didn't aggravate me in any way, but I'm, I didn't walk out going, yeah, how cool was that? Um, oh, okay. I, th- I thought the the glitching towards the finale was, a l- I, I probably found it a bit of a cop out because once you can see him, you're just, and, and this is me saying this, who doesn't like horror. For me, you're just sucking away the fear of the unknown. Yeah, okay. See, I, I loved the fact that it they didn't even bother trying to explain it. The fact that he's in optics is pretty much all oh, yeah, they gave just- it. Yeah, just like, whatever. And that's the smartest way to do it, because when you try to explain things, that's when things fall apart. Like, Michael Crichton was a brilliant doctor who put so much research into Jurassic Park to try and make everything sound as real as possible. But at the end of the day, you're still bringing dinosaurs back to life, and it still just sounds silly. So, I'm glad that they didn't bother trying to explain anything there. And I thought the design of the suit was kind of cool. The stark black with the little, you know, lenses kind of popping in and out. That I thought the look of it was pretty cool. I didn't need the, the close-ups of the things swiveling and moving in and out. Because then you're just really going, literally, literally, you're going close in on stuff that, A, you're not going to explain. And, B, we don't care about. Yeah, okay. That's fair enough. I get that. Another thing that's, that there's no explanation for is, uh, how on earth would James be put onto this case? Like he was in her house. You don't, the officer, they don't put officers on cases with that closer connection to what's going on. What do you think he was actually put on the case? Well, he was got, in the interview I, room. Yeah, I He got wasn't the vibe there as moral that, support. Oh, so he was, I got the vibe he was that questioning that is why he was. There. Because at the time, he thought that she just smacked up his daughter. I got the vibe that he was put in the room specifically because he did know her too, especially because they were worried about her mental state. I thought he was in there to provide support and also to question her as someone who knew what her mental state was like prior to this. That's the vibe I got. I didn't think he was actually on the case after that point. I think the interview room was the only time he was there. Shoddy police work. I'm calling it. (laughs) Also, why did he go into the mansion at the end of the film? It's really bad for him if the cops do show up. Like she's already called emergency services at this point in time. Yeah. If they if they rock up and he's in the house how's he explaining that one away? I yeah, I mean I get the vibe that like he's one of those good cops who gone bad. Is, no no, no. The opposite of that. He's one of those cops that's so good that he can't ignore something bad happening. And even though he knows it might be bad for him. He did ignore something bad happening. He's ignoring the fact that she murdered him. Well, yeah. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I'm just yeah. calling bullshit on that. Like, he would be he would be out of there. Um, speaking of the end, here's a question for you. And this was probably the one part of the film I didn't need and didn't really care for. Her taking the suit. And having that really, really obvious shot of, She's walking out and the bag's open and, and you can bag, see yeah. it. And it's just like, oh, yeah, we like she's got the bag. We already know. I didn't need That's it. That's one moment where it doesn't trust the audience at all. And not only that, I don't need this to set up a sequel. A sequel to this won't be a sequel to this because this is such a self-contained story about domestic abuse. This isn't a superhero story or yeah. an origin what, story. What, is Cecilia Break bad now or what? Yeah, like, this is a really self-contained story, so I don't need that. And I don't know if you heard, I don't know how factual this news is. I heard that Elizabeth Banks has already signed on to write and star in a sequel, The Invisible Woman. Right. Um, Which I don't know how that then ties into this and Cecilia having the suit. I don't know why, but there that is. (laughs) Hmm. All right, now I'm going to call bullshit on something else. And maybe this completely worked for you. It completely did not for me. The whole brother thing, not not as not as a character in general. I I thought he was good in the, in the scenes up until the point where she kills him, pulls the hood off, and oh, it's the brother. And I was just like, I'll oh, fuck off. I don't know. Like, I what's he that- doing? What's he do- What's he doing? Well, that's the thing. I think I think that there's different ways to play that. I mean, firstly. Was he involved or was he just kind of set up by his brother at the end? Do you think that he was involved the entire time? I don't think he was. I suspect not is the vibe I got. But then, like, what? At one point he just decided then, okay, great. I'm going to get in the suit and go, like, kill this or at least give it a red hot go at killing an enormous policeman. And, like, what? I don't don't think he had intentions to kill anyone. The vibe I got is that he was in a situation and nowhere near the same extent as Cecilia, but he was, to a certain extent, at least emotionally abused and manipulated by his brother. And not only that, it's very clear that he relies- Virtually his income comes from his brother. So... You know, whether or not he said, you know, go scare these people. Yeah, there's a bit of a golem in the Ring thing going on where he both loves his brother and hates him. And yeah, exactly. He, he needs him but loathes him. And then I just I, I do not buy the jump from his feelings about his brother to getting in the suit and going. And then when he's got a time, like, he's invisible, he can run away at any point. Nah, I'm going to yeah. just wail on this cop. Yeah, I guess. And, I then, guess. and then get killed. That's fair enough. Although just, just in time for us to go back to the actual guy and have it telegraphed from three weeks ago that he's going to say surprise. I mean, I know that you can run away at any point, but I, th- I think when you're in a suit like that and you're completely invisible, part of- part of it would go to your head, and you'd feel like you have this kind of mad power. Like you, you would probably. It doesn't happen, mate. I'm telling you, I've tried the bowl cut. It doesn't. I- happen. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I I didn't have the same problems with it that you did, so similar opinions but different ish at the same time. How are you scoring it? I'm what many people will think is low, but for for a horror film, for me, people should keep in mind this is not bad at all. And if someone said to me, "Hey, should I go watch the Invisible Man?", I'd say sure because I think it's absolutely fine. I was not unhappy with my time in the cinemas, and I'm a five out of ten. <laughs> Fucking hell! The, I mean. I mean okay. I know yeah, okay. <laughs> like what you say what you say is true. That is high for you for a horror film, but I still feel like that's exceptionally low for to me, this is much more than just a horror film. And and I think that a lot of people will have problems with the labeling of this as a horror film. I think there are plenty of horror aficionados out there who won't like this film because it isn't scary enough to be marketed as as a horror. To me, this is more of a thriller. It's a Drama, particularly it's around you know domestic and marital abuse, and I just I think it was so strong in so many ways. I'm a nine. This this overtook The Lighthouse as my number one for 2020. Now that's a film that I find it weird that gets labelled as a horror. Yeah, that, but, uh, it's a, it's one of those films that what do you label it as? Because it's you just, just label so it as Robert Eggers. Yeah, well, yeah, that's right. It's it's like the same with Charlie Kaufman films. Most of them are labelled as a comedy, but it's like well. Really? Being John Malkovich isn't really a comedy, but where do you put it? (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, I I thought this film was very strong. I'll be surprised if it remains my number one right through to the end of the year. Like, we're in early days, but honestly, I think we're off to a really good start for twenty twenty. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at we watch the thing. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash thing, and we'll catch you next week. Go watch a movie.